They say the best things in life are free. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus states, freely you've received, freely give. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. We are a not-for-profit adult religious re-education ministry, helping folks rediscover and understand the teachings of the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you'd like to help us do what we do, I'll tell you how you can become a supporter of Renewed Heart Ministries after this. But for now, it's our hope that as you listen, your heart will be renewed, and inspired to embody the beautiful values and teachings of the Jesus story. Till the only world that remains is a world where love reigns. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. We're on the road this week, or I'm on the road this week, so this is going to sound, uh, the, the recording is going to sound a little bit different than, than normal, um, but I'm glad you're joining us. Our feature text is uh, from Saints Gospel Q 636, Be Full of Pity, Just As Your Father is Full of Pity. Our companion texts are Luke 6, 36, Be Merciful, Just As Your Father is Merciful. And Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we can split this week's saying into, into two parts. The first portion, I think, is obvious, the call to adopt God's pity and, and uh, to apply it to the way we relate to each other. The second portion of the saying involves Jesus naming God uh, our Father. And, and, and let's begin with the second part first. Many have described uh, Jesus as, as progressive for his era in, in his estimation of and in relation to women. L.A.L. Cruz's piece, Seven Reasons Why Jesus Would Have Been a, a Proud Feminist, um, I think highlights some of the evidence for this. You can, I'll put a link to his article in this week's e-site. Um, but Jesus still taught in, in, in gender, he still taught within a, a gender inequality uh, within his own culture. In a presentation that I gave in, in the summer of 2015 uh, called The Radically Inclusive Jesus, and I'll put a, a link to that as well, um, I argued that that Jesus taught that women also bore the image of the divine, and, and in the, uh, that it's actually in the Jesus story. In the Gospels, Jesus uses uh, feminine images uh, to represent God and God's reign. You can find this in, in Matthew 13, 33, Luke 15, 8, uh, Luke 13, 34, and Matthew 23, 37. And writers also argue that that uh, including feminine images for God, as Jesus did, uh, was perfectly in harmony with the Hebrew Scriptures. And you can find, uh, you can put, a, you can look at the link or the the article, which I'll put a link to as well, in biblical proofs for the feminine face of God in Scripture. There's more to the affirmation of women in the Jesus story than than egalitarianism, though. Uh, Marcella Altheus Reed, in her book *Indecent Theology*, she's just one theologian who has pointed out the the, the problems that are created for women because of both Matthew and Luke's birth narratives and how they begin with a virgin birth. Matthew also centers male perspectives and voices in sections of his gospel, including the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and Dolores Williams, in her book uh, Sisters in the Wilderness, uh, Joanne uh, Carlson Brown and Rebecca Parker in Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse, and, and Rita Nakashima uh, Brock, in her book, Journeys of the Heart, all three books critique traditional interpretations of Jesus' death and how those interpretations have contributed to the abuse of women. And this week's uh, saying presents another challenge to the treatment of women within Judaism and Christianity, 
And that is Jesus' gendered term for God being Father. Karen Armstrong, I think, makes a helpful statement in her book, The Great Transformation, uh, The Beginnings of Our Religious Traditions, about the, the patriarchy of the Axial Age cultures like Judaism. She writes, The Axial Age was not perfect. A major failing was its indifference to women. These spiritualities nearly all developed in an urban environment dominated by military power and aggressive commercial activity where women tended to lose the status they had enjoyed in the more rural economy. Uh, There are no female axial sages, and even when women were allowed to take an active role in the new faith, they were usually sidelined. It was not that the axial sages hated women. Most of the time, they simply did not notice them. When they spoke about their great or enlightened man, they did not mean men and women, though most, if challenged, would probably have admitted that women were capable of this liberation too. It is not as though the axial sages were out-and-out misogynists, like some of the fathers of the church, for example. They were men of their time, and so preoccupied with aggressive behavior of their own sex that they rarely gave women a second thought. With We cannot follow the axial uh, reformers slavishly. Indeed, to do so would fundamentally violate the spirit of the axial age, which insisted that this kind of conformity trapped people in an inferior and immature version of themselves. What we can do is extend the axial age ideal of universal concern to everybody, including the female sex. When we try to recreate the axial vision, we must bring the best insights of modernity to the table. That's from her introduction. And I agree with Karen here. In, in the New Testament, we witness a push and pull in the stories of, of women for, for liberation from, from male-dominated oppression in the early churches. And, and that these stories survived means that at least some women in the early church felt that Jesus' teachings set them on a trajectory of egalitarianism. One book that, that made a strong case for the beginnings of equality for women in the Jesus story is Discovering Biblical Equality, uh, Complementarity Without Hierarchy. It's by Pierce, uh, Grudius, and Fee. And unfortunately, this book assumes firm gender binaries, but, but there, this was one of the first ones. Elaine Pagels also acknowledges this struggle in her book, The Gnostic Gospels. She writes that one of the differences between those who, who won uh, and those who lost the, the power struggle for control in the church of the, the second and third centuries was their difference of opinion on whether women and, and men were, were equal. So again, I agree with Karen's statement above. The trajectory of the Jesus story can inspire us to bring to our reading of the Gospels the, the best insights of modernity. And as we've seen over the, the last few weeks, the Pharisees eventually embraced recognizing that every person uh, was bearing the, the image of God, and, and regardless of whether they were Jew or Gentile, and that same trajectory eventually allowed people to recognize the image of God in women as well as men too. And we see this trajectory acknowledged in the, the writings of the, the controversial New Testament Paul, where, where he says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, James Brownston in his book, Bible, Gender, and Sexuality, also uh, I think accurately states that there are two streams within uh, the New Testament especially. Um, the, the, one is a stream that, that is uh, egalitarianism, and the other stream is uh, a patriarchy. And the question we have to ask, he puts forth, is whether or not uh, the, the, the Jesus story is leading us from the stream of patriarchy to egalitarianism, or it's leading us from the stream of egalitarianism to patriarchy. But uh, pity versus compassion, let's talk about that for a minute. The saying for this week follows Jesus' reference 
uh, to God who causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on all indiscriminately. And Jesus calls us to imitate this. But the word pity in Luke, which the International Q Project most believes reflects the Q document, is uh, oikthermones. And and it can be translated as compassion, pity, uh, or mercy. And each of these translations has subtle differences. So, so I want to discuss each of them. Compassion is sympathy for those who are, are suffering and, and, and a desire to alleviate their suffering and, and work toward their liberation. Pity can imply a feeling of, of superiority. And mercy is compassion shown toward uh, someone who deserves punishment or harm. So, so most can more easily embrace the ethic of compassion toward the suffering uh, then they can uh, then they can muster the, the the ethic of compassion for those who deserve punishment or, or, or mercy. And, the, and pity is even easier, I think, than both. The teachings and the example of Jesus do affirm compassion toward the suffering and the oppressed. Yet the sayings of Jesus that that we've also explored over the the last few weeks they also teach us to relate to our enemies and those who persecute us and oppress us or oppress other people. And, and when we apply pity or compassion to our persecutors or our enemies or our oppressors, uh, the difference has become, I think, clearer. Pity contains the temptation to believe that we are superior and disconnected from our oppressors, as we talked about last week. Uh, but our, our, our goal is interconnectedness, not superiority. And all humanity is connected. And Jesus sets the, the radical transformation of oppressors as the goal that we should strive for, not the, not the elimination or the extirpation of, of oppressors or, or the annihilation of oppressors, but the transformation of oppressors. So as Howard Thurman relates in, in Jesus and the Disinherited, the, the slave participating in slave master's uh, Christian worship services could easily reason, um, and he quotes, I have, I'm having hell now. When I die, I shall have my heaven. The king's master has his heaven now. When he dies, he will have his hell. And the following day, um, speaking of the master, the slave could say, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Uh, that's page 60. Now, but the deep human desire is not merely to survive, and that's what, what pity can do. Pity can enable us to survive. But, but, but the deep human desire is not merely to survive in life's oppression, but to thrive through liberation. And compassion will, will get us closer to liberation than superiority ever will. So perhaps oppressors should be, should be pitied for being uh, captive to a system of injustice that is broader than them. But, but compassion in the form of mercy can lift us above mere pity to work toward the transformation of our oppressors. So let's also note, too, that, that Matthew uses the term teleos, uh, usually translated as perfect. Um, teleos is the, the Greek word from which we get our modern word telos. And a telos is an ultimate goal or aim. And in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus explains that he had come not to abolish the Torah, but to bring it to completeness or pleru. Uh, he, he, I think, is in perfect agreement with Hillel in seeing the Torah as the beginning of a of tra- trajectory that is not complete until it ends in compassion. And whether someone is our peer or, or able to reciprocate, um, whether they're lower on the social pyramid without the ability to reciprocate, or, or they're an enemy and they're higher on the pyramid, we follow Jesus by, by treating them with the compassion and the mercy that we would want to receive. For Jesus, the, the reign of God is people taking care of people. And that was the aim that, that the Torah, according to both Jesus and Hillel, 
uh, said all that the Torah always pointed toward. In this, we come back again to our, our original points this week. The Jesus story is part of that Jewish trajectory that ends with the egalitarianism, not only between men and women, but among everyone. And at the end of that trajectory, no one dominates or subjugates another. We have a world where, where we learn to serve one another rather than creating more efficient means of depriving one another. And in that world, we, we choose the way of compassion for everyone. And it's a compassion that is indiscriminate, as indiscriminate as the, the shining sun and the falling rain. And in acknowledging that our world is a shared table, we wake up and nonviolently confront evil, and we transform our world into a safer, more compassionate home for us all. So the way of compassion is rooted in being, in the words of our text this week, full of pity, just as your mother father is full of pity. Heart group application this week, uh, write out what compassion uh, looks like in your view uh, for the three groups that we mentioned above, uh, the, the, those uh, that presently suffer, uh, from whom you'll, you'll not receive anything in return, and those who you consider your, your peers who have the ability to reciprocate when you give, and those whom you believe you have a, a negative relationship with. What does compassion look like in all three of those scenarios? And then number two, discuss with your heart group what each expression of compassion looks like and which of these three you would feel uh, would most transform your world. And then number three, choose one of these uh, three compassion actions to practice this week. Try experimenting with it. Thank you again for joining us this week. Again, thank you for your patience, too, with us being on the road and, and with uh, uh, the, the recording difference. Um, until the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Once again, for listening, everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. Even our educational seminars that we do in various venues, we are a not-for-profit religious re-education ministry. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to www.renewedheartministries.com and clicking the Donate tab at the top right. Or you can mail your contributions to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. Make sure you also sign up for our, our free resources. And remember, every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything we receive above and beyond our annual budget, we gladly give away to other charities that are making uh, both systemic and personal differences, significant differences in the lives of the poor. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of RHM, we simply could not do this uh, without you. From all of us here at Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you.